You're listening to 100 Words or Less with Ray Harkins. Hello, everyone, and I'm on vacation. I'm recording this a little advanced, so I am uh, on some beach in Hawaii just, just chilling. But that doesn't mean the podcast stops running, right? This stuff gets to your ear holes no matter what. And this stuff is the lifeblood of the independent music scene. Not saying this podcast, but just like why we care about this, <laughs> this whole scene. Metal, punk, hardcore, all of these awesome subcultures that we've been attracted to. And I bring people on and have a nice discussion about that particular subculture and why we care about it so much. Today's guest is a great one. I mean, I say that for every show, but I, I really truly believe it. Like we're 400 some odd episodes in and, uh, you know, I, I just, I'm all these people I'm so curious about and I'm really glad that I could spend time with them. Adam D who plays in Killswitch Engage, and he just recently put out a new record with his quote-unquote side project, you know, sort of side band, I guess, as it were, called Times of Grace, uh, who's also an incredible band. Really, um, just, it's like, it's akin to Killswitch Engage, but it's completely different at the same time. It's just, it's really, really good. And um, yeah, they've been releasing, uh, I think this is their second full length, if I'm not mistaken. You know, please correct me in the, I was to say, correct me in the comments. <laughs> There's no comments on this, but you get what I'm saying. I, uh, yeah, I just love to dig in with Adam D because he also played in Aftershock as well. And he is a staple within the independent slash heavy music community. And when the opportunity came up to talk to him, you know, I jumped on it and that's what we did here. So there's some things that you can do to interact with this podcast. You can email the show 100 words podcast at gmail.com. Always love to hear from you. If you are enjoying something, if you bring up a guest idea, all of those fun conversations can be had over there. You can also drop a review in the Apple Podcast charts. You just go into that podcast page, drop some stars, maybe say some kind words. I would really appreciate that. And I know that you hear this pretty much weekly if you listen to the show on a regular basis. But you ha- if you haven't done it, I'm pointing at you. If you have not done it, please do it now because it just helps the show uh, add an air legitimacy about itself. So please do that. And um, yeah, tell your friends, and I was about to say friends and family, maybe your family isn't into uh, heavy music, but so don't tell them, but tell your friends that you need to find out about this show, because that's the only way that this, you know, gets spread. I'm not spending money on marketing, like, this isn't, this is all organic growth, people. <laughs> so the thousands of you that are listening to this right now, uh, it's it's all because you were here, and you're a willing participant, and I appreciate that, so let us talk to Adam D and we go all over the place. I was really excited about this because we nerded out about the greater Massachusetts area hardcore scene because he goes deep there and uh, my love for that scene goes deep as well. So here's Adam D and I will talk to you at the end of the episode telling you who's coming on next week. That's what I do. So here we go. Being a hardcore kid of a certain age, uh, my first exposure to you was Aftershock, of course. Wow. And, oh, yes, yes. I mean, we, oh, uh, 
we haven't met, but we've existed in the same ecosystem for quite some time. Like, you know, known Howard for years. Blood has been shed. Always stayed at my house when they came through SoCal and stuff. But anyways. Where'd you, where'd you grow up? Uh, always in, in the Orange County, Southern California area. Oh, so, okay. So yeah, played in a uh, played in a band called Taken. Sang for them. Melodic, hardcore stuff. So we never played together, but again, same orbit. But gotcha. um, gotcha. yeah, so I, I enjoyed Aftershock and was always... Uh, I, I was, I mean, being a person in the you know metalcore mid '90s scene, you just gravitate towards bands that are like, oh wow, like this is the heaviest thing I've heard now. Like <laughs> that's kind of where Aftershock. I'm surprised you actually know of Aftershock uh, being you know kind of west of the, anywhere <laughs> in the East Coast other than Salt Lake City. <laughs> Dude, that is a very very appropriate. <laughs> comment because yeah am i right or am i right I'm dude you are very right like it's yeah very surprising to hear yes so was aware of aftershock because you know you just you just consume everything that is of that ilk and i think i remember reading a review and then probably ordering it from very distro or something like that yep, right. and obviously because you guys never came out west i never saw you but then i was all over kill switch engage from the demo on i just was transfixed with it and then saw you guys uh, I want to say the 2000 Hellfest. I could be wrong, but whatever the first time you guys played Hellfest were was, yep. Yep. and I, you know, the vibe could not have been more different <laughs> from obviously aftershock, but then seeing you as a person and you were up there having fun, smiling, like clearly that is not what most hardcore bands kind of project. Right. And, and I was playing drums in that, at that time. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. It, and, you know, I'm guessing, and this is maybe mo- more of an overarching question, but I I guess the, the self-deprecating nature of you and the juxtaposition of like, here I am playing this heavy music, but then I'm also a real human has always come naturally to you and you had no other mode to be? Or was that something that you kind of experimented with as you started to, you know, <laughs> be more of a... Uh, uh, human as you, you you grew into, you know, being in a band and stuff like that. You know, maybe I'm just a bit more punk rock than other metal dudes. I don't, I don't know, man. I just, totally, I just feel like you should don't take shit too serious, man. Like life is short. Have a good time with it. And, um, you know, I, maybe in the beginning it was me kind of poking fun at all the egos within metal. Um, and I kind of still do, you know, it's a little underhanded jab at like people who think they're, their shit doesn't stink. You know, I think we're, we're all humans and, you know, I think we all, uh, we all, you know, do cool things and make huge mistakes and, you know, and you know, let's all hang out and have a good time, man. See how uh, hardcore my roots really are, man. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think it, no, I mean, I completely see where you're coming from because it does that, that real, you know, back and forth that I think most people go through. I mean, most normal people look at, you know, hardcore metal and are just like, oh, yes, these people are in constant agony and hate everything. And then when you actually get to know them, it's like, oh, no, they're not. It's like they're just normal people, but they're able to express themselves in this way. And I'm sure in some respects, subconsciously, you were also trying to push against that even further and be like, Sorry hey, about my dog. no, it's okay. He's very excited about this conversation. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> But I, maybe it's like subconsciously you were also like, oh, not only am I like, you know, reasonably well adjusted, but that I'm also on top of it, like just a complete and total, you know, goof. And like, I want to make these things fun for myself and then hopefully other people. 
Right. Yeah. I think that's, that's pretty much it. You nailed it right on the head there. Yeah. That's great. Well, you know, you can come to my therapy sessions anytime you'd like, Adam. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But but putting the the focus on you as a person, you know, I know you were born and raised in the greater Massachusetts area. Um, I don't know kind of like your family structure as far as like, you know, brothers and sisters in the house, mom and dad there. What did that look like for you? Uh, Well, you know, grew up uh, with one older brother, two younger sisters. Um, I can definitely blame my older brother for introducing me to um, uh, like the, the hardcore genre. Um, he was a skater. Uh, he just, he, he was into the local scene and I became, you know, interested in it. I was listening to, um, uh, like met, like metal and he was like more like, you know, pushing the misfits and the dead Kennedys on me and, um, minor threat and stuff like that. And so, uh, yeah, you know, of course, uh, it, it grew on me and then, uh, you know, I, Maybe that's where my combination of, you know, hardcore and metal riffs came from, you know, it's just that, uh, it was just a weird time in, in, in New England, uh, in the, uh, the late nineties. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, it's, I was just talking about this on an earlier <laughs> podcast I did. Um, it was just a, a weird time because you had, you still had that, like, um, that unacceptance of metal fans if you were a hardcore kid and vice versa. You know, we're like hardcore, you're, you know, hardcore kids are like, I don't listen to Slayer. And then, you know, Slayer fans being like, I don't listen to Meyer Threat. Right. So it's just, it's just weird. You know, I look back at that and I'm like, what the hell is everybody thinking, man? It's still aggressive music. Like, can't we just, you know, get along and dig it? And it's, it's still pissed off. And, you know? Like, yeah. Great. Shades of gray. Yeah. Right. You know? <laughs> well, it's funny. You say. It's funny you saying that. I this I don't know why this triggered this memory. Uh, there was that that hardcore band called Rain on the Parade that was like you know total traditional like not youth crew but they traveled in those circles. And I remember they had a song called Body Bag where it was like you know and I think the lyrics were like hardcore metal will never gel. We're sending your sound straight back to hell. And it was like <laughs> it's bullshit. Totally. Right. I mean, and like they definitely came at it from a tongue in cheek scenario, but at yeah, the same yeah. time, you you are very right where it was this real demarcation line where it's like you could go up to a certain point of liking something, but then you can't publicly profess it. Right, right. Or all your friends will make fun of you and like disown you. Like I'm not he, don't call him next time he was a show, man. Like whatever. You're out, <laughs> you're out of the circle, bro. Right. Like, hey, dude, don't bring that drummer over because he literally has two bass drums. So we can't we can't vibe with that. Yeah, right. Oh man. <laughs> That's funny. And so you being kind of in the middle of all your siblings, were you um, you know, I guess like <laughs> striving for attention? Did you kind of find yourself being an introverted kid? Where did you land on the spectrum? Massively introverted. Um, okay. Yeah, I was uh I was that awkward teenager that was just you know, the, the chubby kid that everybody would pick on. And, um, I played a lot of Nintendo and listened to music. And I think once, once I took a real liking to, um, guitar and bass and drums and, and actually started playing, it was a really cool, uh, moment in my life because I finally had like some sort of like direction. Cause obviously I wasn't into sports at the time. Um, uh, and I just, you know, I was just kind of like that, uh, did, I've never really fit in, I guess, um, with uh, any cert- like circles or specific, uh, like you know, like this this kid's a 
you know, like way into baseball and, you know, like the, the popular jocks and all that stuff, you know? So it's like, once I, once I had music, it was like, oh, that's, that's where I belong. And then automatically like, you know, I, I, you get more friends of a, a, that variety and then you kind of find yourself, you know, and that was, became like my main, you know, the, what I live for, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a, you describing it too. I think you probably were able to bounce around to a lot of different friend groups because, you know, you probably were not threatening where it's like, Oh, you know, Adam's a kind of a fun guy. So like, yeah, we'll hang out with him. But then it wasn't that deep bond where it was like, Oh, we have to invite Adam to everything because like, I don't even know if he actually likes this thing that we're right, into or whatever. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I guess that's what, that's what I'm saying. When, when music really became part of a big part of my life, then it was very apparent, you know, what circle I would stay in and hang out in. You know? Yeah. You found, you found your tribe as they say. Right. Right. Exactly. And so the, the introversion, how was that playing itself out? Were you literally just being like, Hey, I'm in my room reading books, being an art kid, or was there, you know, a, a other paths that revealed itself beyond, you know, once music subsumed you? Ah, uh, other paths. No, not, not really, man. It really was just like, um, I loved video games. That's pretty, okay. It was my life. <laughs> That's all I, like, all I did was play video games. Um, yeah, video games and uh, and music. That was my pretty much my um, my upbringing before college. Yeah, right. What was your uh, your entertainment system of choice? Well, obviously, once the, the this is how old I am. Once the original Nintendo came out, that was like cool. This is the greatest thing I'm in. I've ever seen. <laughs> I'll never ever do anything else with my life. Right. Um, yep. And then what, what was the, what was the order? It was like Nintendo, Sega Genesis, and then oh yeah, Master yeah. System that was in there. I mean, that predated Sega Genesis, but yes, and mainstream. Then, and then the Nintendo 64 and then the, uh, yeah. or Super NES, I'm sorry. And then, um, yeah, so it's just like, like that, that was, it's just so time consuming because all the games were super sick. Right. <laughs> and especially how frustrating they were from the Nintendo Entertainment System of like, I'm sure you remember the game Ghosts and Goblins, where oh. it was hands down, like still to this day, one of the hardest games I've ever played. But you're just yeah. like, I have to try to beat this level. Yep, yep, yep. And then eight hours later, oh gosh, what did I do? <laughs> yeah. All the games that like don't have like save. So I just like leave the system on overnight and then try again from that level the next day. And like, oh <laughs> yeah, you, your, your sister turns off the system and you're just like, I, 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 I hate you. I disowned you. Like, <laughs> you're dead to me. I'll never talk to you again. <laughs> totally. I love that. Yeah. Uh, did you care about school? Like, were you applying yourself, getting reasonable grades or? Uh, yeah, my parents always pushed it. So, um, it was a big thing in our household for sure. Um, so I was, I was a pretty good student except for, um, English lit. I, I hated anything to do with English literature. It was just the most like boring ass thing. I couldn't think of anything more boring to read than English literature. Oh my God. Right. I almost, I almost failed that course. Um, I was yeah I was always at an interest in earth sciences and and uh, and stuff like that so yeah I did all right yeah yeah what did your uh, your parents do for a living like was there any hope that you were going to follow in their footsteps my mother uh, was a uh, a preschool teacher and my father was an electrical engineer um, who was in charge of the power grid for West the uh, New England area um, so no <laughs> absolutely not. It, it's funny in some weird way you saying that where it's like okay 
I could easily see you getting up in front of a room of preschoolers and entertaining them. And then also on the flip side, you probably know how to repair guitars in some capacity. So you have a little blend of both there, Adam. Sure, sure. Yeah, I, I wish I had more of my father's traits because he can fix anything. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, me, me I, I was so proud of myself because I was able to fix a, a lock in my bedroom door the other day. You know, like, look what I did. <laughs> so I even shimmied wood, damn it. Yeah, so. <laughs> you're, you're going around your house, your whole family being like, guys, I've done it. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> okay. I, 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 I should be a little handier than I am. Shame on me. Sure. It's okay. And especially with the whole, you know, New England working class idea like that, you know. Oh, absolutely. Kind of, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, you are a failure. I'm sorry, Adam. Yes, it's very true. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Glad we're on the same page. Yeah. <laughs> the And so like you said, once the music world kind of opened up to you and was, you know, thrust in your face. So like you said, it was more of a uh, coming at it from like the, the skateboarding side of things and your brother being your, I guess, gatekeeper from that perspective. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Um, you know, he, he actually started playing instruments before me. Um, so I think that's how I started playing drums. Uh, his friend left his drum set at the house. So I was like, Oh, can I try this thing out? And just started playing it. And, um, he played bass. So I would play his bass and then, uh, uh, I would mess around on his friend's guitar and then I was like, Oh, this, this is kind of fun. And then it was funny. He started and then I just excelled right, right, right past him. So like, see you later, dude. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's funny. And I'm, so you, you said you were initially attracted to drums and that's like one of the most punishing things for parents to go through because, Oh, I, oh my poor parents, the, the, when I started playing after that, it was just like, it's always constant and they put up with it. They didn't care. It was like insane. That's, it, it, I look back at that. I'm like, my God, they're like angels. Right. Did you have the, uh, w- was the musical equipment in like your bedroom or the basement or how was that laying out? My bedroom. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Which yeah. makes it even worse because clearly even less of a soundproof environment. Oh yeah. Yeah. My, my neighbors probably hated us too. Oh yeah. Right. <laughs> and as you started to go down the rabbit hole of finding out about other bands and, you know, diving even deeper than probably your brother was, you know, how did your parents kind of react to you bringing this stuff that was clearly weird to them and not making sense, especially probably once you started to get into, you know, playing in bands? Yeah. They, I don't know if they really understood. Um, maybe they just thought like it was a, a teenage thing or something like that. I don't, it's just, obviously they're not going to understand like, you know, both their sons being in a hardcore band, and, you know, right. screaming and yelling, you know, when, you know, they grew up listening to like classic rock and like John Denver and, you know, Gordon Lightfoot, you know, it's, uh, it was, I'm sure it was shocking at first for them. And like, you know, I think, you know, even now my bet my parents don't understand what the hell I'm doing, you know? So it's, just, yeah, it's, uh, it had to be strange for sure. Right. But they, it sounds like they were permissive to just basically be like, as long as Adam is not, you know, like wrecking cars and doing all these things, like we'll just let him do his thing. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I'm sure also, cause I, I know at one point, uh, or you, you were straight edge for many years and I'm sure that that also helped them. I mean, not like they knew what straight edge was, but you just being like, Oh, I don't drink. And they're like, okay. Thank goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I didn't really start drinking till I was 24, something like that. Yeah. Oh, so you you lasted over the uh, you know cell at age of twenty one. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. That's I mean, good. I just never had an interest, and then um, 
I'll never forget. Like it, it hit me just one day. I was like, I had a job that I hated and I came home from work and I was like, you know, there's a couple Guinness in the fridge. And I was like, Oh, that's, that's nice. And then, <laughs> and then the monster was created. Yeah. Right. That's so, cause usually, especially people that, you know, have been straight edge throughout their teenage years and, you know, in their early twenties, there's that big, you know, sellout story where it's like, oh yeah, all my friends got around and, you know, got me high or whatever. And so it's just funny that you're like alone being like, oh, let's crack open a beer, see where this yeah, goes. Yeah. I just, I hated my job and I was just like, this, this'll do. Yeah. <laughs> what, what was the job that you hated? I was a, a salesman, uh, a telemarketer for a musical instrument distributor. Yeah. Ooh, that's rough. Yeah, it sucked. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I was telling myself, like, well, at least you're working within the music realm. You know, you're talking about musical instruments all day. And I'm like, no, man, you're still a telemarketer. This sucks. It's right. You're like, I may be selling something that I technically like, which makes it less, uh, well, you I'm know, a fucking salesman. Yeah. It, it yes, <laughs> right. There's only so far you can go where it's like okay, like I am technically still trying to get people to buy stuff that might not need it. Right, right, right. exactly, exactly. Right. It's soulless, man. Band merch. It is the thing that I talk about every week on this podcast because I am so passionate about the that ecosystem that exists, and Rockabilia.com is a crucial hub to that ecosystem of. You supporting bands, you getting cool band merch, and then in turn, everybody wins. The podcast wins, the bands win, Rockabilia wins, you win. You as the ultimate consumer. So use this code, 100 words, that gets you 10% off of your order. And Rockabilia, just the best place that you can buy merchandise on the internet, bar none. Fast shipping, so many items. You can't even begin to scratch the surface. You can probably spend hours in there and just be like, wow, I, oh, what about this band? Oh, wow. Here's all this, you know, rad long sleeve shirts, putties, whatever it is. They've got so much cool stuff. Like search for kill switch engage. You will find great band merch there and all officially licensed. The bands get paid. Like I said, it's a virtuous cycle. Everybody wins. So again, use this code 100 words that gets you 10% off your entire order. 10% off is that's, that's nothing to sneeze at. Okay. So go, to the website, rockabilia.com, use the code 100 words and you will be winning my friends. And so I, I know you went to Berkeley college of music and yep. you know, that was the whole trajectory for you being like, I'm going to be a musician, whatever that may mean in whatever, you know, shape and size, uh, was, I'm going to presume Berkeley was intense or did you like it? Like, how did you navigate that, you know, uh, high octane environment? It was kind of a waste of money. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, to be honest with you, so the whole reason I went there was to uh, my major was music production and engineering, um, and they had a, a good program. Whereas you know the the gear was good, they had a lot of good um, a lot of good stuff to learn on, uh, to study, learn about. Um, but it's that's all of that stuff was nothing that I couldn't have learned um, interning like somewhere, you know? Um, so yeah, I look back and I'm like, yeah, it was, it was good for some things, but like, man, you know, I don't necessarily think I needed it to get where I am. Mm -hmm. so, right. Yeah. The, the piece of paper that it uh, gave you at the end. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you know, half of that of course is, you know, my parents saying you need to go to college. So, 
<laughs> You're like, yeah. well, I'm going to go to college for music, guys. I'll show you. Yeah, right, right. And the most, you know, arguably one of the most expensive ones in the country. So thank you. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, shit. Well, who knows at this point? I don't even know. I'm, no, I'm it's sure what I what I paid for school back then is peanuts for what things are now, you know. Oh, pro- yeah, you're probably paying that in elementary school, private school fees or whatever. Yeah, right? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> totally. Uh, and so was Aftershock, I, I don't know where that lined up in the time. Like, were you at college at that time or no, where that did that transfer? That was my high school band. Okay, got it, got it. And I know you gigged in that general New England area. So as you started to get exposed to the more, you know, DIY side of things, did it immediately catch you as like, oh, this is different than anything that I've ever experienced before and I'm all, I'm all in on this? Or did it kind of like have to warm up to you? Well, that was all I knew, to be honest with you. You know, um, it was just, you know, this is this is what you do if you're in a metal band or a, or a hardcore band or whatever. You know, like you play shows and you hope people come and you hope people, you know, buy the records and then come back next time and the shows get better. And, you know, I guess it's just like, any other show or any other, you know, type of music, you know, just keep hoping for growth, you know? Mm-hmm. And w- I know with Aftershock, I mean, you guys did put a decent amount of material out for only being around for what, like three years, maybe four years at the I, most. I can't remember. It's been over 20 years. So yeah. Yeah. Those, uh, I mean, those brain cells are fried, man. Yeah. You're like <laughs> that, that went out with the first Heineken, bro. Yeah. Is that right. <laughs> but as you started to play out of, you know, out out of state or out of town, did it feel weird to have the attention of people who like clearly weren't your friends and all of a sudden like singing the lyrics back to you guys? Like, was that a, you know, did that shake something loose in your head of like, wow, this is weird. Well, for Aftershock, we never really had any great shows to be honest with you. Okay. Fair. We never really hit a, a level of success with that band at all. Um, I think the, the the craziest thing that ever happened to that band was the fact that we got asked to play Japan, um, which was just bizarre because we couldn't sell, you know, 50 tickets in a U.S. market, you know. So, right. And then we fly, we fly across the world and then we're playing these sold out, like, you know, 350, 400 cap venues. And I'm just like, what the hell? It was, uh, it was incredible. Like, honestly, it was a, a life a life-changing moment for me seeing how many people were excited about something that I created. You know, I don't, I'll never forget that moment. You know, that's, it was insane. Right. <laughs> and that, that I was actually going to pick that uh, or pick apart that notion of, it is so interesting how certain bands hit in Japan. And then, like you said, you're like, we have no business playing in front of 10 people in the States. Why are we playing in front of 300 in Japan? This doesn't make any sense. Right, um, right. And you, and you guys only went over there once, right? Exactly, yeah. Which is amazing because I know, like, <laughs> the and I, I find it so interesting. The you know, I know that you guys have that split seven inch with uh, Statecraft, which I think mm-hmm. is also hilarious because Shepard Ferry did the artwork for that. Yep. If right. I'm not mistaken, the fact that you could sell that seven inch for probably hundreds of dollars, not because of the quality of music, but the, <laughs> the quality of the art. I know, right? That's that's the funny thing. My my brother went to RISD with Shepard. And so like he knew him and that's why he did our, um, our, our discography CD, um, uh, layout too. So it's like, it's just crazy. So like when I look at that and I'm like, his, his shit's crazy popular now. And I'm like, wow, well that's just the dude that my brother went to college with. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, that was just the weirdo graffiti kid or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, and how how did you? I guess from the kill switch engage perspective, once you started to really get into the the touring around the country and start to be part of that, you know, music industry, did you like touring or was that something that you had to warm up to? Um, yeah, I did. I did. It, it just, if anything, I just remember the, uh, the apprehension behind, um, quitting the job that I, I hated, uh, just because it was a steady paycheck, but it was a paycheck, you know, and, um, just the apprehension of like what's going to happen because if this doesn't work out, I'm going to have to go back to some job that I hate probably, or, you know, I just, uh, it was just the uncertainty of everything. Once we, once we started out, you know, we didn't know what to expect, um, if it was going to work out or not, you know? Yeah. And, and that time too was so interesting because even though there was a little bit of a roadmap with bands of the early two thousands, like, you know, your hate breeds or your poison, the wells that you started to see have, some level of success and you know clearly there's like the sick of it alls and stuff that existed but there wasn't that that exact path that you could say oh yes like i know i've seen these hundred bands do it you're like i've seen four bands do it (laughs) i don't know if this is going to pan out for us right exactly exactly so yeah that's that's the all the apprehension you know right right and but it, it seems like from relatively early on you guys were pretty committed to that idea of like okay there is a little momentum so it gives us enough to try to you know put some arbitrary time frame on it and to like quote unquote make it work whatever that may mean yeah absolutely um things de- did seem to be to, to pick up uh slowly at first you know so it's a uh, it was exciting to see I'm like all right and we i think we felt a little more confident uh just on the fact that we were on a a larger label and we had that, that power, that backing. Um, they, they obviously have, you know, ways to promote the record and they have budgets and, and all that stuff. So once, you know, we got signed to Roadrunner, I was like, Whoa, that's actually a pretty big label. And I listen to bands on Roadrunner and that's, this is cool. All right, let's give it a go. Let's see what happens. Right. Yeah. There's, there's reason to believe that this will be slightly different than releasing stuff on devil's head recordings. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, no shots at Devil's Head because clearly, but yes, the different, different, different league, as it were. Yes. And then you were, you know, all during that time, you were clearly sinking your teeth into the production side of things and working with so many bands. And there was a lot of hustle that I know that you put into that because of your kind of building both of these things at the same time. Exactly. Yeah. yeah so, do you feel that that was a function of kind of like? you know, not damned if you do damned if you don't, but like, Oh, if the band thing doesn't work, clearly I have the production stuff or the, you know, if the production stuff doesn't work, then I have the band or you were just kind of keeping all the irons in the fire. Yeah. It literally was just like, I got to try everything out see what makes the most sense. Um, just because that was right when, you know, I was getting out of, uh, getting out of college and you know, like this, something's got to happen here. I got to make something happen. So, you know, throw a bunch of shit at a wall and see what sticks. You know, and, and thankfully some shit stuck and, uh, yeah. <laughs> right. It, and was it, um, from a business perspective, because, you know, I know that even though you, from the kill switch engage side of things, and then I know from the production side of things, you always work with trusted people in regards to management and helping you out with, you know, business decisions, but there has to be some, 
you know, some interest on your end to be able to make the business side work. Was that something you enjoyed or was that just a function of the fact that like, well, I literally have to care about this because if I don't, then no one else will. Right. Well, I, I, the business thing, yeah, I give it or take whatever it's, um, of course I have to pay attention to, to the things I'm doing and what, and the way I handle it. Um, but at the end of the day, man, it's, it's music, you know, like, it, it, I'll find some good in it, you know, because music's, music's like what I love, you know. Right. So that's, yeah, you're like, as long as that the business stuff is a little bit quieter and the music stuff is the loudest, then that's what I'll focus on. Right. That's, that's, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. When did you feel from a production side of things, uh, you know, because I mean, you worked on so many different records of all bands of varying shapes and sizes. When did you feel like, I guess people were paying attention to you where it was like, wow, I'm booked out for, you know, six months or something like that. Or was there even a, maybe a smaller moment that you realized, wow, this has momentum. I don't know if that ever happened to be honest. (laughs) Um, Okay. Yeah. I, uh, I don't, I don't really know. I guess I just, um, it, it happened very gradually. Um, Mm -hmm. but I've always been, you know, stoked to just work on records no matter who's the, it was you know um yeah I, I don't know if there was ever like a, a, a moment where i was like well this is really turning into something um it was always just like let's let's move on to the next project you know um right let's keep busy and keep at it you know it's very um and i don't mean this in a disparaging way but it's very like hand-to-mouth where and this is going to sound like a total, you know, cheesy sign in someone's house, but it's like the whole carpe diem thing where it's like, oh yeah, let's just focus on this thing as opposed to being able to have, you know, this broad 10,000 foot view of what I'm doing. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's funny when now that I'm saying this, like I've, I've like slowed way down now. I'm like, now I'm just like, man, I'm tired. I don't want to, I don't want to do that all the time now. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, back, back in the day, it really was just like, I think it was just trying to prove something to myself. Maybe that's just like, you need to just keep busy and keep at this until something becomes something, you know? Um, yeah. And I just, I didn't, I never really just looked back at all. Well, and it, it's interesting too. Cause I, I think that by default, someone may look at you as far as your, you know, stage persona and like the goofball stuff we were hitting on earlier. And they might think that you don't take what you do seriously, but clearly that isn't the case and like you know or like you might be you know lazy and just like whatever dude i don't care and it's like clearly like you do care well, <laughs> like, there's, there's a time and place you know there's a time and place for everything you know when you're at a show you know i feel like if you're going to get on stage and try to be uh you know c- completely uh just you know try to c- cut everything apart and you're going to sit there and just tear apart everybody's performance and like that's not what people are doing in the crowd people are there to have a good time and just you know feel the music and feel the vibe and, you know, maybe like forget about their job for a minute and have a couple beers and yell. And, you know, so that's, uh, that's pretty much where my brain is when we're playing a show. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. You're like, I'm not going to the party in the studio. It's like, hey, let's forget about our jobs and, and hang out. And, you know, that's not, that's not what you want to do when you go in the studio. <laughs> right. It's like, we, we paid for producer Adam, not short, short, Red, you know, guy that's uh, you know, jumping around with a uh, you know, a floaty on his head guy in the studio. I got a 30 pack, we got to kill this in an hour. Let's go, (laughs) right? You're like, uh, we're we're still getting drum tones, dude. What are you talking about, Adam? Kill it in an hour, we got shit to do, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, for sure. We're drunk, man. Right, right, right. You can't, you can't do that in the studio, man. Yeah, and, and I'm sure that the this is mostly from kind of the performance side of things and people not knowing maybe how to grapple with the idea of you like having fun or you know projecting an image that people might not you know might find like a personal attack in regards to my metal needs to be serious or whatever i'm sure you've had experiences where people have just been like you know flipping you off or throwing crap at you because they're just like i hate like (laughs) i like the other four people in the band but this guy's a boner or whatever like yeah exactly exactly okay you know (laughs) and when that happens it might i just say to myself it means i did my job today i'm either making somebody happy or pissing them the fuck off i'm like that's exactly what i'm after (laughs) so let's do this shit (laughs) <laughs> that's fun. You're like, I'm looking to inspire a reaction out of you. Yeah. Yeah. Just something, you know, it's like, instead of like, here comes a cookie cutter of the last band, like, you know, four or five guys trying to look tough and intimidating as they play the riffs, you know, like how many times have you seen that at a metal show? Yeah. Never. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I guess along those same lines, the, you know, as the band, progressed to where you know you guys reach larger and larger stages and we're playing you know these more quote-unquote serious tours or whatever um like did you feel not like you had to modify your behavior but did you feel where it's like okay like i'm gonna read the room and i i am not going to you know ham it us ham it up as much as i normally do like how did you kind of navigate that because clearly it is who you are as a person but yeah how did obviously you always read the room if okay if you're feeling like nobody gives a shit, then, you know, or like, you know, like the, the vibe is good already. Why push it? You know, it's just like, it's, it's just, you know, paying attention. You know, I think it's, uh, it's as easy as that. Sure. Yeah. If you're, (laughs) it's like, if you're one out of four, maybe don't bring a banner that's bigger than the headliner. Yeah. Well, they probably nowadays they won't let you, they'll just be like, you can't use that. You know, that's the headliner. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's big rules to that shit. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, and kind of along that line of you doing, you know, so much of the, you know, production and then, you know, the band, I presume that you ran into walls of like burnout. Did, were you able to recognize that yourself or was that, you know, other people saying like, Hey Adam, like maybe you need to chill out on this or how did that kind of transpire? Cause I'm sure you ran into a wall at some point. Yeah. Burnout is a real thing for sure. Um, it's, I've become a lot more mindful of it now, obviously. Um, I, just, I can't work. Man, who who's, who as a, an engineer can say that they're sharp on their game for a 14-hour session? I think that's that's impossible to, to do, um, especially if you monitor at a reasonable or loud volume. Um, you know, you're going to get ear fatigue and you're going to make poor decisions by the end of the night, um, which is why I try to not just... I don't try to work more than eight to 10 hours a day. Um, you know, in a perfect world, I think six, you're fresh for the whole six hours and you, you can slay it. Um, but obviously, you know, budgets and, and time restraints, uh, get in the way and you have to push a little farther. And, you know, as long as you're not doing any like critical listening in hour 10, then, you know, you can get away with a longer day. Right. Right. Yeah. And did you, I guess, did you recognize like when you did hit that wall, was it like, you know, the fact that you're mixing seven records on the back of the bus while you're on tour, like was you as know. far as, yeah, the, the, and like the production and the tour balance. Yeah. When I, it's, 
it's it, like it's kind of good to have like an editing job or something like that to do while you're on tour because there's so much downtime. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, it's hard to do anything you know of critical listening on a tour bus with a Jenny running and you know dudes you know yelling and screaming in the bus. So it's you, know, you can't really do that much. Editing is easy, um, but you know you you can't mix a record on the road. There's no way. Right, right. Like, I mean, you could do it, but it won't be good. Well, it's just, it's difficult. Yeah. You'll, right. You'll have a really hard time doing it or blow it. Yeah. 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 Um, and I, I'm, I'm sure once you got, you know, once you started to put out, you know, the second and third LP with Kill Switch and you were put into these situations that you're just like, this is almost comical, whether it's like, oh, here we're doing like, you know, an acoustic in store or whatever, like stuff that would never have shown up on your own radar, like, you know, a couple of years prior to that. Do you have any standout moments that you think of? Like, it doesn't even have to be something that was like, wow, this is really monumental. We did this. But, you know, in some of those weird situations that you never thought you'd be in yourself. Yeah. Um, I guess Times of Grace had to do something like that. That was really awkward. Um, like an acoustic in-store? Yeah, we, we did an acoustic uh, thing for Apple Music. And oh, sure. We did one for either Spotify or Pandora. I can't remember. I forget. I, it was that was ten over ten years ago. Yeah, um, totally. <laughs> you know, and like it's always awkward to do like record store signings and stuff like that. Um, we've had some go awry where like nobody showed up and like, all right, good signing, guys. You know, that kind of thing. So, <laughs> it's like a Spinal Tap moment. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So um, you know, I, we've definitely had those, uh, but not not too much. You know. Um, that's good that you, yeah, like, yeah, it's, 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 I, we've been lucky enough. I think, uh, most of our press has been great. Most of the stuff we do, it's like, you know, we stick to playing shows and, you know, doing interviews. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like you, <laughs> management and the label like knows, okay, this, while this may be cool, like this is not their vibe. We can't have no, them do yeah, this. We're, we're, you know, five stupid, you know, metal kids from New England area. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Um, this is kind of random, but, you know, you mentioning New England, what were some of the, uh, local bands that, you know, after either Aftershock was playing or that you like really looked up to and were, had that sort of, uh, you know, touchability as it were, whereas like, cause everybody has those, you know, few local bands, whether or not they made a difference you know, I, nationally. Yeah, I go ahead. Fucking, I loved this band, uh, Sam Black Church from Boston. Oh, yeah. hell yeah. Yep. Um, I loved them. Uh, so it was we like played shows with them and like whenever we did, I was like, this is so cool, man. Oh my God. Um, so they were, they were definitely like right on top. They were like my favorite for sure. Um, that was cool. And then obviously being able to play with earth crisis was really cool. Um, with aftershock. Um, yeah, those are all like my high school days. My God. Um, right. <laughs> a long time ago, man. Long time ago. Uh, and, and what's funny too is that I'm sure you've had this experience where these bands that you know you either share the stage with or watched when you were younger, and then you realize like, man, those people were only like three years older than me, but yet they felt like twenty. You know? Yes, absolutely. That's exactly. Like they, they just felt like like ten steps ahead of me. You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're like, gosh, I was sixteen and they were twenty. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but it really did feel that way. It felt like like a world away. Yeah, yeah. But then, like you know, watching Sam Black Church in front of you know whatever 
you know, 300 people in the Middle East, like that, you know, that's as big as it got for you. And you were like, right. oh my gosh, if we did this one day, it'd be unbelievable. Right. That that was sick. Yeah, absolutely. You just nailed it. Like going to see San Luis Church in Boston, like they would come to Western Mass once in a while. But like, yeah, it's just like those shows were sick. Right, right. I, I just love those local band questions just because, you know, sometimes people can pull these things out that it's like, oh yes, that's when it became real to me. It wasn't this band on this massively national level. It was like, they did well and they drew people, but it wasn't, you know, this blown out. Uh, they're playing in front of, you know, 2000 people or whatever. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, it, it also seems like the, the through line in all of the music that you have done, you know, even when, even if we're talking about, uh, you know, sweatpant boners <laughs> where there is a, uh, you know, you, you always have to be playing something, you know, metallic or heavy, that, and I'm sure that you have probably, you know, sampled around with other stylings in, uh, in general. Is that just something where it's like, there's no way that I can do something else because this is just what naturally comes out of me. Uh, well nowadays, no, because that, that new times of grace record we're just putting out. Um, yeah, there's not really much metal to it. Um, that's true. That's true. There, there are a, a few songs for sure. Um, but there, there's moments in there that, you know, like, I was saying earlier on a, on a different interview that um, this is outside of our wheelhouse and it, it feels, you know, really good to do it. Um, it's kind of like, uh, you know, we have such freedom to do and try whatever we want with this project because there really aren't any expectations. Um, you know, so it's, it's just great to be able to like do some mellower stuff and, you know, to try different vibes and like, I think that's why we had such a good time on the, the first touring the first uh, record that we did uh, because there were such quiet moments and we never do those with Kill Switch Engage and right. it's just a different vibe. So um, no, I'd, I'd say not everything I, I do is metal all the time. Obviously, like I, if I went to Berkeley, I had all these contemporary studies where I had to play jazz standards all the time. So <laughs> right, you know? so like. Yeah, not everything I do has to be complete metal all the time, but uh, it's obviously a lot of fun for me to do. You know, I, I love metal, and aggressive music, so yeah. Yeah, no, and definitely not trying to paint you in a box, but it just the the the, the through line that exists with all of your musical projects. Like I said, I mean, even if you're looking at like you know this is a deep cut, but like burn your wishes, or it's yeah. like they uh, just that that idea of like there's always still an aggressive nature to it because that's just what you are able to uh, you know really hone your focus in on, and even if it's not all that all the time it's, there's still a, you know, connective tissue to it. It's not like you're going to wake up one day and then all of a sudden, you know, be, uh, you know, set or an EDM artist or something. Right. No, no, no EDM here. No way. Yeah. (laughs) Have you ever, uh, thought about the idea of like, you know, sort of score music composition stuff like that? Or is that something that, um, just doesn't interest you? Yeah. Um, there, there was a moment where I was thinking like that could be a, um, like a career opportunity if, if the band didn't work out, uh, I was thinking of maybe even doing like a secondary major at Berkeley, uh, like uh, film composition, because um, it's it's always interested in me. And like like I said, I uh, I just love making music. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's I've, it's it's an interest, um, but it's something I've never really pursued because uh, the the other things uh, just kind of panned out. So of course, yeah, they, they, yeah, <laughs> they take up your time, right? Yeah. <laughs> 
what um, I'm sure like you mentioned when your parents were trying to wrap their head around what it is that you do and, you know, still uh, probably having some confusion on like, I guess my son would be defined as a musician. Like that's, I guess what he does. Um, I'm sure they've had moments where they've, you know, watched you achieve something that will, you know, be featured in the local paper or something like that. You know, do you have those moments where, you know, your mom or dad calls you up or, you know, one of your siblings is like, Oh, Hey Adam, I saw your band in this thing. Like, you know, do you have any moments that stick out in your head like that? No, nothing like that. Um, to be honest with you, I don't think they pay much attention to what I do as far as, as, far as <laughs> okay. metal music. It's not like they're going to go home and listen to like rain and blood on, on vinyl. You know what I mean? Um, yep. it's just, I, I don't think they really pay attention to metal. Um, but, you know, they always ask what I'm up to and all that. And, and I'm sure, you know, like they just know my, my life is kind of crazy compared to what they're used to. You know, like they, before COVID, you know, they always knew me as the guy that was always flying somewhere or playing some city or, you know, doing something crazy one day. And you know what I mean? So it's, uh, right. Yeah. You were the, you were the traveling circus. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, what, uh, cause I know you've lived in San Diego now for the past, what, six years or so, or is it a little, yeah, little bit longer? Yeah. About okay. that, yeah. And what, what pulled you out here to the uh, right coast in my opinion? <laughs> well, yeah, I know, man. Um, now that I'm here, it's, it's so funny. I always complain about the cost of living here and it's like, my God, what am I doing? I'm pissing my money away living out here and then sure. I'll, I'll travel anywhere else in the world and I'll be like, a day later I'll be like, I miss home. I want to go back to Southern California. <laughs> you know what <laughs> sure. I mean? Like it's totally worth the money. I, I got to go home. Um, it's just, it's got everything I love, man. Like I, I love being outside. I'm, I'm an outdoor enthusiast. You know, I love, I love hiking. I love the ocean. I love, um, I love camping. Um, you know, it's just, it's my shit. You know, I just love be- being outside really does something for my soul. And, um, you can do it year round here. Like I'm not even every day you can be outside in Southern California and, um, you can't really hang out outside for like more than half the year in New England. Um, either it's way too humid and you're just going to be covered in your own sweat in like two, two minutes or, uh, you're going to die because it's like negative 20. Right. <laughs> so it's, you know, obviously there are things I, I miss and love about New England, mostly the, the people. Um, and obviously, you know, autumn is like the most incredible thing in the world there. Um, and, uh, you know, I miss my family, but there's nothing like Southern California, man, you know, until a wired wildfire eats my entire house. And I, you know, that's that, it, well, yeah, I, until that happens, you know, yes, there's, there are always downsides in living anywhere. I know, I know. Yeah. But yeah, I, I always joke around with friends that live across the country. I'm like, yeah, we pay a lot of money to live here to not have weather. Like we yeah. just have a temperament. That's all exactly. we have. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and people are like, oh yeah, you're right. It's the most incredible uh, craft beer, you know, <laughs> industry in the entire world, if you ask me. Like, oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah Germany it has its history, but but yeah, God, San Diego beer is. If, if you're an ale drinker, you can't beat it, man. Oh, for sure, for sure. I mean, coming as a 40 year old straight edge kid, even I know that. Yeah, see? exactly. <laughs> yeah, I know what's up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Stone Stone Brewing, well aware. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> My girlfriend works there. So. Oh hell yeah! There we go. <laughs> That's incredible. Um, and so now, like you said, you uh, you know have been able to. Uh, slow down either for energy purposes or the idea that like, okay, I'm not going to spread myself as thin as I once, uh, you know, was when I was producing band touring, all that stuff. And then now it seems, you know, with times of grace, 
that the fact that you can practically just do this whenever you want to, you know, uh, thankfully, like where you have labels that are, you know, willing to support you and obviously get your music out there. Um, I'm going to presume that that's really, really gratifying that you don't have to feel like you're part of a, you know, particular machine to be like, all right, every two and a half years, I got to release a record. Like, you know, cause right, that's, yeah. that's obviously what Killswitch engages like, and not in a bad way. That's just the way well, that it is. No, this, this project is completely a labor of love and um, almost like cathartic because it's, it, it kind of showcases um, the, the painful side of both Jesse and I. Um, so it's, it's different for those reasons, you know? Um, and like I said, we have such freedom with the project, you know, we can, we can toy around with different sounds and, you know, I can, I can write a song that's completely different than anything else I've ever written, you know? Um, and just have, have a good time doing it, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we're going to really lean. Like, honestly, it's not too dissimilar to the, uh, you know, and not comparing you guys sonically, but like, you know, the demon hunter guys, it's so interesting that they can just, you know, kind of do this whenever they want to. Mm-hmm. And yes, of course they've been very prolific and released a lot of records, but they don't have to do this, but they do this because it's like, well, you know, like we just like it. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And then you could, and then you could do the same thing where it's like that we can't, fit this into the kill switch engage, you know, uh, slate of songs, but we can just do this, you know, sort of tangential weirdo stuff on the side and people will hopefully care about it in some capacity. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's the thing, like, you know, we, we were lucky enough to do the, the touring on the first record and, and some people actually showed up to the, the shows and it was really amazing to see. Um, but there really aren't any expectations, you know, so I don't, I don't feel the pressure to tour. Um, if we get the chance to do it, yeah, I'd love to do it again. Like I said, that the first time, the first set of tours we did on that first record were just like so much fun. You know? It's just so different. It was really rewarding. Yeah, right. And for a person like yourself that has played so many shows, for you to still find a new experience within the context of that, like that's really exciting. Yeah, I'm. I I think I've played "End of Heartache" enough. You know. <laughs> Yeah. Like to play another song other than yeah, End of Heartache and My Curse. And, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're like, I've played that song 400 million times. Yeah. It's like, I, so it's, I can probably play those in my sleep. It's, right. You know, it's, it's so many, but that's the thing. Not everybody like listens to that song every day and not everybody, you know, has, has seen that, sh- that song live. So it's it got to be a, a part of our, our, our sets and, and people like it, you know, it's one of our more popular songs. So it's not like we can't play it, you know? No, it will. It, I mean, that whole notion, like once you create art and you put it out in the world, it's not yours anymore. Right. And exactly, exactly. You have that experience where it's like, okay, like this is not my jam anymore. I'm not saying that you said that, but like, this is, <laughs> I, I don't want to play this ever again, but like, that's not, it's not mine anymore. Right. <laughs> you know, this is yours. And hell, it's it's still my favorite song to play live. Is if the crowd is going off, then I'm like, this is killer. All right, never mind. I, I can. Right. I, don't mind, I don't mind playing the song for you guys. You seem to really enjoy it, so this is great. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah, hey, that's all that matters with any show. You know, it's the crowd reaction. It's that for me, it's that connection between you and the the people that are standing right in front of you, hopefully having the time of their lives. You know. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Like it, it can, a crowd's reaction to a song can, can bring it back to life in ways that you're like, oh yeah, I thought it was over that, but no, apparently I'm not. 100%, yeah. 
Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, two last things I want to hit on. One of them is really funny. And I just, uh, you know, anytime I'm doing, uh, you know, I, I use maybe air quotes research on these conversations I'm going to have. Uh, anytime this pops up, I just laugh where it's like, I'm sure you've seen this when like you're Googling a person's name and it has like this celebrity net worth where it's like, there's like literally oh, websites. man, somebody told me I was worth like millions. Dude, yeah, eight, totally. Like, you're worth $8 million. And I just oh, wanted to make sure. Yeah. Shit. <laughs> I want to ma- I want to make sure you're aware of that so you can go to the bank to let them know that. So Oh man, do you know how stress-free my life would be if I was <laughs> I just, I would, Oh, I'd be like in such a better mood all the time. Oh god, that would be great. <laughs> I just it, it makes me laugh so much because I look at I look at that and I'm like I don't even know where they are deriving these numbers from. Like they're obviously like I don't know. I have no clue. And it's just so funny that people in our scene pop up on that. And you're just like, yeah. I understand like, yes, they're making a living off their music, but where are you pulling this from? And the reality is I've been like losing my mind the past year over like the, my financial future because we aren't touring and like, like what the <laughs> fuck am I going to do? You know, thanking, thanking God that my girlfriend has a great job and he's like, Oh my God. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, I'm definitely not worth 8 million. That's, that's a pretty impressive number, man. I know. I, I, I just want to sell a lot of freaking records for that, man. Oh, oh a- absolutely. <laughs> that's again, that's why I just laugh when it's yeah. anytime you see anybody in our world that's appears on that. I just like, that is so funny. So like yeah. someone obviously took some, you know, fictional piece of information and ran with it. So if, if we were this big in as big as we are in the seventies, maybe that would have been closer to that. But <laughs> Right. Yeah. But totally. then, when the internet came around and we were like, Hey, you want to sell records? That's hysterical. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's cute. We have these things called MP3s. that can be shared everywhere. Enjoy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Suck on that. You loser. Right. Totally. I mean, you, you guys got in like, I mean, especially when the self-titled record, you know, on, on ferret, like you guys got in sort of right under the wire, but like, clearly it would have been much more profitable if you, you know, exist in the seventies, like you said. Yeah. We, we were lucky enough to get, um, two gold records. Yeah. So that was, that's pretty impressive, you know? Oh, but then absolutely. Obviously everything released after that one will never go gold. Right. <laughs> You're like, well, maybe if you total up all of them. Yeah, then- exactly. We'll just have to release like 10 more records and maybe combine them all to get that gold. Yeah. Right. Do you have those gold records hung up anywhere, uh, you know, in prominence in the house or like how, how do they, uh, <laughs> where do they sit? Yeah, I do actually. They're, uh, I have a little music room in my house and I put them in there. Yeah. Hell yeah, it's something to be proud of, that's for sure. Yeah, it's, it's once in a while I, I try to like brush things like that off and like that's not really that big of a, a deal, man. It's like it's more so about like the shows and getting out there and that's what you should be celebrating and, and play, playing those shows and those audiences. And then, then I'm like, wait a minute. No, that's a lot of records. You can kind of be proud of it, man. It's okay. Um, yeah. Well, but, and I think too, there's that, especially coming from the, you know, DIY punk and hardcore world that we do, there is that weird punk rock guilt that exists where I'm just like, like I can't look at this and be proud of it. That's real. That's actually real with me. I like poo poo everything. I'm like, man, that's, that's bullshit. Don't be proud of that shit. You know, you're, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta strive for more and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, it's actually, it's it's kind of a big deal. It's okay, man. Like, see, see how troubled my mind is (laughs) Like, like, like fighting myself on that shit. Yeah. Like you mother, you, fucking pussy like just total sellout yeah exactly <laughs> call myself a sellout exactly like right like, 
This is not. This is not what I would have done at aftershock. Exactly. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. We would have sold t- ten dollars shirts, man. <laughs> punk, punk rock guilt is a real thing, man. It really. It's it's fucked up. It's, it, I'm, and I'm I, coping with it. Yeah. No, it, I mean we all do because I, I think there is that you, you. I mean everybody always looks at it's like you know Discord Ian Mackay like as the gold standard, which obviously is like that. If we could all oh, exist in 100%, the one hundred percent, yeah, right. If we could all do that, that would be amazing, and everybody would exist in that. But we all can't do that, right. and especially when you're looking at the idea. And I, I'm sure you've thought about this, or maybe you haven't, but and maybe I'm spending way too much time thinking about it. But like, just think of how many self-titled you know minor threat discographies have been sold like what like five million like they're those records do you actually know how many of those they've they've sold because i have no clue i know know a lot of people who have that record you know right and it's like that generational thing like i mean i remember for years i worked at century media and i had access to SoundScan, and then i would always laugh when i pulled up like metallica's black album because i'm like who doesn't own that record and then every week i would be like what do you mean they sold 14,000 copies? Like, this make any sense. Who doesn't have that record? But I like, know. isn't it fucked up? They're still like selling <laughs> shit tons of those. Right. But then like on the opposite side, like, you know, minor threat, like they're, I mean, yeah, they're sound scanned, but not to the point where it's like easily trackable that you could, you know, there's easily like hundreds of thousands of copies that have never gone through sound scan, you know? Oh, sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Back in the day. Yep. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, anyways, the, la- <laughs> the last thing I want to hit was the, um, the 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 fact that you you know you still do you know mixing production work like those are still important factors for you and clearly you still care about music um where as an adult even though you are a musician <laughs> and you ostensibly care about music but where does that i guess desire in you come from as far as the pursuit of you know working with new people caring about new bands all that sort of stuff come from or is it just like that's who i am as a person you know <laughs> it's pretty funny I, I don't really listen to a lot of new music lately i don't know what's ha- like dude i'm on like this like 70s rock kick lately i don't know what the hell is wrong with me but like just sure everything from the 70s all of a sudden maybe i'm just i've hit that ripe age where i want to like connect to my my youth or something i, I don't that's how old i am yeah um it's right. it's just it's weird like all, all like the old like just down down dirty ass rock and roll it's just you know when guitar players were guitar players man all you needed was a a les paul and a, and a plexi stack and a cable you know like like oh man you know that's there's such a romanticism behind that for me right now and i don't know why um well it's pro- i mean probably because you know when you started to get into punk and hardcore and all that sort of stuff all of your parents stuff was the lamest thing possible I know. And now so, I'm like parents age back then. And I'm like, yeah, this is sick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're like, why didn't you show me this? <laughs> I guess it's, it's not like I don't have my ear to the ground because like, obviously like new stuff pops up and I'm like, well, that's kind of sick. Um, you know, like that, there's that band knock loose. Um, they're, they're, Oh yeah. Sick. They're real sick. Um, you know, just, once in a while something will hit me. I'm like, that's pretty rad. Um, but unfortunately, I'll like I'll hear it in the radio, and then I'll just like forget about it. And then like, oh crap! And then I'll hear it again, and I'm like, oh dude, that's sick. <laughs> right, right. I'm just old. Well, at least, yeah. <laughs> well, at least you still have that. Like, oh, that's like really good because I, I do yeah. think that they're yeah, yeah they're but, and pl- 
Yeah. I know one well, that that Gate Creeper band just put out a new like EP. I think it was. Uh, yeah. Well, and that was really sick. I'm like, this is also like I know there's really good stuff, like really awesome new stuff coming out. You know, um, it's just that there's a lot of stuff that sounds samey to me as well. So mm-hmm. you know, sure, but that mass produced like you know this guitar plug-in and these, you know, MIDI drum samples that are on every record, you know, and like there's every record just sounds the same and like, you know what I mean? So there's, there's a lot flooding the market as per usual, but there, there are definitely some standouts, man, where I'm like, that band's badass. Right. Yeah. Like I get where they're coming from. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, No, for sure. That's cool. Well, dude, thank you so much for hanging. I really appreciate you letting me ping pong all over the place, (laughs) but it's been great. (laughs) That was a crazy one for sure. That was Adam D. Thank you very much, Adam D and Mike for his publicist for connecting us. I just, I like it when people think of the show and are like, Hey, this is, this is an interesting conversation. Would you be wanting to have this? And I say, yes. So and I say no a lot of times to to uh, publicists that pitch me ideas where I'm like, ah, I don't really like the band. I'm sorry. Um, I always respond, though, because there's a lot of pitches that uh, go unheard, and it makes me sad. So anyways, thank you to Adam. I really appreciate that. Next week, this was – I don't know how to really put it in words beyond – I was incredibly excited to have this conversation, and I felt like an idiot because I just found out about this band. So his name is Colin H. Van Eekhout. He plays in a band called Amon Ra, and I just discovered them on their most recent release, and they've been a band for like 20 years. I felt like an idiot, but uh, I'm so glad I found out about them, and I worship at the altar of their catalog now, and I had to have Colin on because uh, just so many questions for him. So that's what we do next week. Until then, please be safe, everybody.